Good morning, Freedom Center. It's funny that the people that the radio stuff and all that jazz, the podcasts that go out, it's crazy that they'll leave some opening comment about zippers in there and then cut off the altar call at the end. So if you're editing this, the sermon begins right now. Good morning, Freedom Center. Good to see you guys. So we had a week of fasting and prayer a couple of weeks ago, and I watched really, um, can I just be honest with you, be transparent for a second? Like I, I was really shocked at the number of people that did that. Uh, you know, we're going to do this, and if you get like a third of the people to do it, that's really great. But when several hundred of you said, I'm going to fast this week, and then you hear the stories of high schoolers that went three days without eating. High schoolers. High schoolers. We should just do this. Instead of, instead of like a Clara's Hope offering or a, you know, a Kingdom Builders offering, we should just have teenagers fast. That'll be like 300 bucks a day, right, times that many days, and just pledge it that way. And then he broke his fast with three giant pieces of greasy pizza, and that created a whole new series of testimonies in his life. <laughs> As he described it, it was a moving experience. And, uh, but I watched you guys just get into that. I was really, like, it blessed me. And then the enthusiasm to come Friday night to the worship night, and people are getting to say things like, I'm hearing God speak to me. Or, hey, I'm a little disturbed because I'm not hearing God speak to me. Like, Hearing God's voice is normal, and I, I'm, I'm not hearing it. Why am I not hearing God's voice? And just watching this, and then we went from that to uh, Vision Sunday last week, where, I don't know if you guys know this, but we gave out over 100 missions applications last week to go on just the two trips to Antigua and Rome. So 50 of them went out, and we had 25 for each service. First service, they were all gone. They went and produced a bunch more, produced a bunch more again last week. So that meeting today uh, on the Linden campus, you guys should go. And ladies, again, I'm sorry I didn't communicate that it was a guys-only trip, but it is sponsored by the He-Man Woman Haters Club. So it, it's, uh, it's, uh, they, they won't get half the work done if they'd have had you, but that's what the missionaries have requested of us as a, an all-male team. How many of you guys know, in the heat, long, hard hours, women outwork men? Absolutely true. Now, they can't lift what we can lift, but then we go take a nap after we lift it, and they just keep lifting because they're, they're used to that, I guess. God gives us different strengths. So, but I, I did realize this, that um, there's kind of a now what moment. Antigua's not for months. Rome's not for nine months. The campus in, in Celine is not going to be open to any of you who want to go for another several weeks as Pastor Ian and Megan are getting to know the team that they have there. We wanted them to have that bonding time before we all rush down there. Um, it's months or weeks until Easter. Like, what's, what's next? And this is what's happened. Those of you, I believe, who fasted, prayed, and in any way heard God's voice, th- there's kind of usually a 50-50-ish split. We're like, hey, I got this. I'm going to Antigua. Like, I know my next thing. I finished this 5K. I'm going to run a 10K. I finished this week-long fast. I want to do a two-week-long fast. I finished this, and now I'm going to give this to kingdom builders or pray differently. I might just never go back to the hell of social media ever again. My prayer, not yours, right? But then there's the other half. They're kind of like, hey, you know, I haven't heard anything yet. Or, hey, I heard something, but I really wish I hadn't. Anybody ever, God ever told you something to do and you really wish he hadn't? Anybody, like, like the calling of God was like, oh, I'm sorry, please hang up and try your call again. Like you're asking for something I'm not comfortable in giving. So for some, you're on your way. For others, the battle has begun. And to those who have not yet heard, or to those of the battle has begun, I want to talk to you today so that, so that you're uniquely positioned to be obedient and to walk in that obedience. So making decisions, this is what we have. We have believe and obey. This is what I'm going to do, right? Or I'm going to compromise. I'm going to begin to negotiate with God. Well, I'll do this if you give me a sign. I'll do this if you answer my question, right? Or we just choose to disobey. I have spared no expense to have brilliant optical uh, 
things here for you. So um, what does obedience look like? It looks like this. It looks like God on top of me, you know? God's in charge. God's over me. God, God has the right rule. You said to go to Antigua. I got the thing. I'm going to the meeting. You said fast another two days, even after the fast was over with. I trust you. I'm going. But there's another stage that we can find ourselves in called negotiation, where God's not on top of us. He's next to us. You getting this one? Like, I, I think I heard you speak, but I don't think I like what I heard you say. I've never known, like, a foster parent. I'd never known like somebody that was quitting a vocational job to go into a vocational ministry job. I've never known anybody that was asked to give something that they'd never given before, do something that never been done before, that didn't really have this kind of a conversation. How many of you guys know God's not mad at you for having that conversation? It's, it's biblical. It, it's um, almost universal. I think where we get in trouble is when we, we live our lives this way. Listen, I, I appreciate your input. And, and next time I need you, you know I love you. You know, when I get caught doing what I'm doing or when I'm without and I need something or when I'm, you know, in trouble, you know I'm going to pray to you because you are my God whenever I need a God. And we find ourselves in disobedience. Anybody recognizing these things? Just me. All right. Amen the first one, right? So don't be discouraged if you're not walking in 100% obedience right now. Why? Because I think that's always the goal, but it's not often what happens in the day-to-day lives that we live. So everyone starts somewhere. In your faith. So, another story in the Bible, I think, gives us really the insight of the conversation that our hearts sound like when we talk to God, like the conversation we get in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses. And this is why, guys, Moses, I mean, I'll just read it off the board, but Moses, like most people, believes he's a collection of the worst things he's ever done rather than the best things God has done for him and now wants to do through him. I, I, I get that there are people enslaved and somebody should do something about that. I get that there's an injustice in the world, and somebody should correct that. I, I get that there are people living in ignorance and poverty and in bondage, and somebody should do something about that. I, I see it too, but I don't really want to be a part of the solution directly. And so we have this conversation. So here, here's a couple of problems maybe you're dealing with too. There's a reason why he believes the things that he believes. One is, in some ways, Moses is kind of an imposter. He's a Hebrew who's raised as an Egyptian. And the reason that that's unique is because his grandfather, the Hitler of his day, ordered the execution of all the male children of his generation. Now, I don't know about you, but being Hitler's grandson would not be an honor. So he's a Hebrew, but how would you feel if you're a Jewish kid adopted into Hitler's family? That's, that's literally the dynamic that he's facing. So to the Jews, he, he's other than. And to the Egyptians, he's other than. He doesn't really fit anywhere. You ever, you ever lived a season of your life where you're one lie coming to light away from everybody knowing you're not what you present yourself to be? How comfortable was that? How comfortable was that? Like, this is the way he lives. He has this imposter syndrome. Plus, he's a failure. He's, he murdered some guy. There's an Egyptian, and there's a, a Hebrew, and he's mistreating the other one. He jumps in, jumps the guy, kills him, hides his body in the sand, and as soon as it comes to light, he runs. He didn't face the consequences of his actions. He just did what he wanted to do in that moment of passion, although that would not be the last Egyptian that Moses would kill. It was in his timing. It was in his power. It was in his way. It was not in God's way. And so he runs for his life. He's a failure, and he's a poser, right? He's, he's a coward. He's a victim. I, and I think this is one to kind of remember as well. I, I really think, like, please be careful if your identity is, is in your victimhood. Can I just be honest with you for a second? If you are... If you have any excuse not to live some sort of reasonable, productive, beautiful, 
powerful existence for your creator because of something that is not your fault. Just because it's not your fault doesn't mean you don't have the responsibility to be what he created. So the identity. It is true that all of us have been victimized at one point. Being a victim is a place that I visit on my way to being who I'm created to be. My history does not dictate my destiny. My God who created me dictates my destiny. So having this ability, like I'm a victim. It's, it's my grandfather's fault. The Hebrews don't like me. I, I'm a murderer. I've got to run away. So an imposter, a poser, a coward, a failure. And now we've got this. He's a victim. So, and I think the thing that probably plays most ardently against his heart is God's going to begin to speak to him is that this cement was poured 40 years ago. It's hard by now. This is not something he went through. This is, this is really more of his identity at this point. I am a failure. I am a coward. I am. This is, this is who I am. Matter of fact, I don't know why he never came back to Egypt other than there was nothing to go back to. There was no relationship with anybody after he left that we get in Scripture. He literally just bolts and doesn't come back. So put into this now. He's out watching some sheep. He sees this amazing sight. There's a, there's a bush that's being burned off into the distance. He's like, I, that's weird. I got to check that out. So if you're watching sheep all day and anything happens, you go look at the anything. Because I don't know if you've ever watched sheep. It's like watching your lawn grow. You just, they don't really do anything. They eat, they drink, they make raisinets, and, and occasionally other sheep. That, that's all they do. They're, they're for a purpose, but they're, they don't seem to have one themselves. So if you're watching sheep, it is like watching paint dry day after day after day after day. And so he sees something. He goes, I got to go check that out because it's the most exciting thing that's happened in the last two years. It's a bush. It's, it's fire, fireworks. It's 4th of July. He goes out there, and from that bush comes a voice that identifies itself as the voice of the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he realizes, I'm having a conversation with God. I don't know about you guys, but once you've solidified in the fact that you're a nobody and a nothing, and God shows up and tells you you're a somebody made for something, not necessarily the best day of your life. It seems like it would be. Like, oh, finally, I get to be the man I want to be. Get this. He stopped being anybody he wanted to be a long time ago. He just is what he is. And now God's giving him hope. And sometimes hopeless people would rather not have the luxury of hope. It just hurts too bad when the dreams don't come to pass. So this is what the voice from Jehovah God says to him, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Isn't this an exciting moment? God's calling him. Yeah, God's calling him to a place he never wanted to see again, to people he tried to forget for four decades. And he feels completely disqualified and humiliated by his past. And I'm not deserving of this honor. And so he begins... This, this process, right? So here's a question for you. Has God ever asked you to do something you're not ready for? By a show of hands. And this may be the very thing. Has God ever asked you to do something that you're not ready for? Can I see your hand? Anybody here have children? Are married? Have a mortgage? Anybody ever just, like, God led me to do this thing, go this place, but it's like, I, <laughs> I've never been there before. I don't know what to do. He does that kind of stuff. Maybe it's a mission strip. Maybe you're looking at Antigua, like construction, tropical heat, concrete block, you know, mortar, cement, mud dogs, sweat, strain. Man, I don't have tattoos. I can't survive. I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I'm not qualified to do that. I've never been on a mission trip. I'm not even sure I'm a believer yet. I'm not qualified to go on that trip. Never disqualify what God is qualifying. If it's in your heart to do something that painful, do you think the devil wants you to go on a mission trip? And once you really look beyond the brochure to what you'll be doing, do you think your flesh wants to do that? There's only one voice left. 
If it's, if it's not the devil and it's not your voice, there's only one voice left that's speaking, right? Maybe it's part of a new campus. Well, that's a 50-minute drive from here. And, man, I, you know, that's other people, other places. I really like it here. Maybe it's serving in ministries, you know, that you're, so there's someone in your heart, but you don't feel qualified to do these things. Or maybe it's starting a business or maybe it's putting a ring on it or maybe it's trying to fire the guy or hire the person, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, understand this, um, Moses and us are going to try to talk God out of what God wants us to do. I would say most of the time, this is where the conversation begins. It begins with the thought of, maybe. I, I think it might be you, but it might not be you. Might, if it's you, then you've got lots of explaining to do, Lucy, because I don't really know exactly what to do with this, right? So this is what Moses says. This is his way out of it, and I want you to hear me. He gives four different excuses and then one final trump card. And we're not gonna, this is the only excuse we're going to be on today. He says this. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh knows who he is. I'm not sure I do. (laughs) And I should say to him the one thing he doesn't want to hear from the one person he'd love to kill. It's it's kind of a, are you kidding me moment? Are you kidding me? Of all the people alive on this planet, you couldn't find somebody less qualified than me. How many of you know that sometimes God calls the least qualified so God can be the most glorified? Shepherd boys don't kill giants. They, they don't even kill wolves or bears or lions. They, they get killed by those things, but God used a shepherd boy. God doesn't use unskilled, non-architecturally trained slaves to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and yet Nehemiah's call is that. God doesn't use women who are only, only married because of their beauty to give influence to the king to save the entire nation of Israel. But that is Esther's story. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, how many of you guys think you're not qualified for some pretty cool things? Let me, let me tell you this. Maybe one of your best qualifications is that you are not qualified without God to do it. I can't work in the nursery. Those kids would freak out as soon as I walked in. One way to find out. It's, it's the hard way, <laughs> but there is a way, right? So I don't think that's a bad question. I, you know, who am I? Who am I? That, that's not a bad question. I just asked the question. Who was Moses before faith and obedience entered his life? Anybody know? Well, he was faithless and disobedient. That's who he was. Who are you before faith and obedience entered your life? Faithless and disobedient. So he, he didn't have a resume. He had a rap sheet. <laughs> you know, it was a re- reports of apprehensions and prosecutions, an RAP. He didn't have a resume. Well, I have obeyed God these other 47 times. These amazing things happen. So, yes, God's calling me because I'm qualified. He doesn't have a resume. He has a rap sheet. He's a murderer. He's wanted for a capital crime in another nation that God's calling him to go back to. So, remember we were talking about the heart, the narrative, the mind, the, the, the lave was the Hebrew word for it, right? Moses' mind, his heart, his narrative, he was an undeserving, disqualified person. The good things that God was calling him to do were not going to be his, and it was cruel to even mention that he might have a meaningful life at this point. And so he's saying, I've got a problem. And, and here's the problem. You ready? What Moses thought about himself was true. True or false, he's a murderer. True or false, he ran away. True or false, he's wanted for a capital crime in the nation that God is now calling him to return to as a deliverer. It's true. But, but here's what you have to know, and you hear nothing I say for a month. You've got to hear this. The reason that the, the words, the accusations, the condemnation of the devil has such a profound effect on our heart is because it's not untrue. It's true. You're a liar. No, I'm not. Oh, I just lied again. You're a thief. Well, only the IRS. 
You know? Listen, the reason the accusations of the enemy leave such a dent in our hope and in our faith is because they're not untrue. But here's the other part of the equation. What God thought about Moses was actually more true than what Moses thought about Moses. Who's in, whose opinion of you matters more? We talked about this two weeks ago. If your opinion of you is, is, is whatever the devil's opinion is of you, then you've got big problems. But if your opinion of you is what God's opinion of you, you have big potential. I don't mean to be this positive, go out there and win the world. I'm just simply saying this. You'll never be obedient if all you are is the things the devil reminds you you've done and you ignore what God has called you to be. Who you are going to become through Christ is infinitely more powerful than what you did because of the flesh. This is the life of Moses. This is the life of David. This is the life of all of us. If God is using you in any way, shape, or form to advance his kingdom, it's not because of the bad things you've done. It's because of the good thing he did for you. He gave you his word. He gave you his son. He gave you his promises. He gave you his spirit. He gave you authority. He gave you a commandment. He gave you a commission. The things he's done for you are more powerful than the things you did that should disqualify you, but they didn't disqualify you because while we were yet sinners, come on, Christ died for us. We're loved before we did anything right. The sacrifice was made before we knew what was going to happen. That He knew enough about love because he is love to make a commitment to us, not have a feeling about us. My feelings come and go, but my commitments have to stand. My covenant to my wife is not based on feelings. There are wonderful feelings in our marriage. The closest thing to heaven I've ever experienced, I have experienced in my marriage to that woman over there. The closest thing to hell I've ever experienced as well. Why? Because... Because when you love somebody, no one can hurt you like them. And I, I, baby, am I saying this right? Like, same thing back, right? The worst pain you ever felt has been from me. The worst pain I ever felt is from you. When, when this is right, everything's right, no matter if everything's wrong or not, because this is right. When this is wrong, nothing's right. I got to make it right. I'm so glad Paul told us not to let the sun go down on our anger, because I don't, I don't want to go to sleep. I can't go to sleep until we make it right. We have never gone to sleep angry with each other in 35 years of marriage. We've missed several nights sleep. We just wear each other down. Okay, I give up. I forgive you. You know? It works. It works. Works fine, right? Um, I, th- I think it's easy to miss the God-ordained moments in our life when we focus on the one called instead of the one who's calling. The one who's calling has authority. The one who's called has to surrender to that authority. God calls you to pray for the sick. God calls you to cast out demons. God calls you to raise the dead. All the works that Jesus did, Jesus goes, you like these? Even greater than these you will do. And to do those things, we have to move in this obedience where we live the life where God gets to have this place of preeminence where we say, I'll I'll do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't think I have the authority to do it in myself. I don't think I have the right to do it. I've never done it before. But understand this, guys. You didn't didn't know how to kiss a girl until you figured it out, and it wasn't that bad in the end. You know? Some things are just worth trying more than once. (laughs) Moses couldn't do what God was calling him to do, but maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of God's calling is not to call us to do what we can do, but to call us to do what we can't do. I I want you to know this, guys. God was going to consistently call you to do the things that require your faith in him to go beyond faith in who you are, faith in what you have, faith in what you know, and faith in what you can do. I would even say this. I think faith in you is the very thing God wants to challenge. I think faith begins when it's beyond you. If you have $10 in your pocket and I ask for five, that's, that's a choice. That's not faith. If you have $10 in your pocket and I ask for 1000 
That's, that's a different measure. That's a, if I ask you for a prayer, you've never prayed this prayer before, but you know that I need God to answer this prayer and because of my pain, because of my illness, because of my whatever it is, I, I don't have, I have nothing to even call out to God for and I ask you, would you pray for me? I've never prayed this prayer before, but wouldn't you just because of compassion and love, pray a prayer I ask you to pray? I've never done it before. Then do it for the first time. It's how we learn to walk. It's how we learn to talk, right? So anyway, back, back to Moses. Here's God's answer to Moses' objection, and it's a beautiful one. Remember, his question is this, right? The question is, who am I? This is his answer to the who am I question. He says, I will be with you. Isn't it interesting? Almost like we're getting into this election cycle. Watch how many times a, a politician has asked a direct question, and their answer is, well, I'm not as bad as the other guy. What a beautiful position to stand on. <laughs> you know, what color's the sky? Well, the history of the earth is... I didn't ask you about the history of the earth. I asked you a direct question. And, and often those questions would lead them to have conclusions that would lose 3% of the votes, whatever, so they answer them carefully. But this is interesting. God actually answers a question that wasn't asked. Who, God, you want me to do this, but who am I? God goes, the question is not even the right question. Listen to me. If God wants you to do something great, the question is not who are you. The question is, who is the one who's calling you to do what you're supposed to do, right? Who am I? Um, it's funny. I, I think that Moses pictured obedience this way. You know, burning bush, do this. And he goes, okay, so what you're telling me is you're going to stay here and you're going to send me by myself over to Egypt and I have to talk to a guy who thinks he's God and tell him he's not, who wants his slave workforce to be there. I'm going to tell him he's lost them all. They've unionized and, and they're, they're on strike that they're going to worship God and not you and you're a loser and, you're, you know, your breath smells funny and, you know, the, your clothes are silly. look like Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live. Like, I just, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't and you want me to do that. And God says, you, you fundamentally miss what's happening. You're not going and I'm staying. What I've asked you to do, listen to this, is to carry me into the presence of Pharaoh, and I will speak to his heart, and I will move on in miracles, and I will make things leprous, and I will turn staffs into snakes, and I will, I will, I will. I'm not looking for you to be God. I'm looking for a ride. I'm, I'm just looking for a servant. And I thought I would find a guy that was so broken that this would come as good news, perhaps. I mean, I, I don't mean to put words in the mouth of God, but, but this is good news. You know, that, you know why you killed that guy all those years ago? Because I put a pain in your heart that's a pain in my heart for the justice that, that is demanded of the blood they've drawn from my people. But you becoming a murderer does not accomplish my will. But if you'll just carry me to the place where my power can be displayed, the world will never forget what I can do through one yielded vessel. And I think the same is true today. Do you agree with that? We're not, we're not called to a great mission. We're called to the great commission where we get to carry Jesus into the highways and the hedges. We get to take him to school. We get to take him to, to work. We get to take him to the Super Bowl party even tonight. Um, we get to take him next year when Detroit wins the Super Bowl. We get to take him next year when Michigan gets beat by Ohio State. I had to wait till Dan was out of town to even say that with a good conscience. I'll hear about it. It's not prophecy. It's just doom. So the question isn't about who's being called to do something. I think, just for a moment, think of, think of the comedy in the calling of God. Um, one of my favorite characters in Scripture, he's mentioned once, we never see him again, but we affectionately call him naked cat-eating guy. 
He's the, the demoniac of the Gadarenes. He's filled with a legion of demons. Jesus comes upon him. He's been naked. He's been screaming and cutting himself. They, tied, they wrapped him up with ropes. He broke him, tied him with chains. He broke the chains. I mean, he, this guy is just, I think the, the clinical term is friggin' nuts. He is absolutely out of his mind. And, and, they, and I can imagine, like, they're locking out the doors at night, and there he is out in the tombs, coming to here and wailing. That's what people went to sleep to at night, was him cutting himself in the agony. Why am I cutting myself? Never in his right mind, beard, no haircut, no shower, no clothes. It was, he was like Woodstock. <laughs> A lot of 60s and 70s jokes today that 20 something are like, I have to look up most of the sermon, and it's not in the Bible. It's a Google search. <laughs> Who is Lucy? <laughs> Why does she have some explaining to do? <laughs> and the mother would say things like, hey, you better eat all your vegetables because you know why that guy's screaming? He didn't listen to his mother. Well, Jesus shows up, and, and he, he comes after him, and he comes after everybody else, only realizing in proximity, this is the Son of God. The demons fall down. They begin to beg him, please, please don't cast us out. Please. And they, he makes, they make a deal. Cast us in that herd of pigs over there. So I'm sorry. <laughs> The herd of pigs over there. You're like, what are you pointing at me for? <laughs> pigs. And Jesus says, okay, makes a deal. He makes deviled ham. This stuff runs off the, the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. They all drown. But now this guy, like he puts on clothes, is in his right mind. But can he read or write? Does he, does he look any different? I mean, he's got clothes on now, so that's, that's help. But he's filthy. He's got bleeding sores. He's covered in scabs. His beard is ZZ Toppin. His, his hair is Doobie Brothers. His, he's, he's just right. He's just, he's, just a, he's just a mess. He's an unkept, mad, emaciated, just blah. But now he's in his right mind. And no one likes him. Everyone's afraid of him. And now Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. And he starts getting in too. And Jesus goes, no, you're going to stay. You, Jesus usually sends people out in twos. Not this guy. He sends them out alone. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? You, but you're the only people, like, I don't know. I don't have a skill. I don't have a people. I don't have a family. I don't. Jesus goes, well, this is what you do have. You ready? You have a testimony of the power of God. After he cast the demons into the pigs, and the pigs went and made devil hams out of themselves, the people there said, leave. Take, take your people. That's why they're leaving. They demanded, leave now. Leave. He leaves the one naked cat-eating guy. He says, go tell them what you've done. Now, I don't know about you. Who was the least qualified person in town to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? you imagine? Who is it? Naked cat-eating guy. Can I help you? Yeah. Um, long as I can remember, I lived as a stranger in my own body. The voices that I would hear that would tell me to do despicable things, the lack of any self-control. You know me. I'm the guy that used to scream at night. And, and one day I looked up and there was this guy I'd never seen before and I fell at his feet. And for the first time in my life that I can remember, I was me. I was no longer a collection of demonic garbage. I was free and his name is Jesus. And that's all I know. I don't know how to write his name. I don't know how to read the Apostles' Creed that hasn't been written yet. I, I, don't, I don't know anything but Jesus. And I wanted to go with him, and he said, no, I had to come talk to you. So have a nice day. <laughs> Who is it? Naked cat-eating guy. That's what he does. Ten towns called the Decapolis. 
uh, it's a little hard to tell from the biblical narrative, but you know it was like uh, some about two weeks to maybe a month later, Jesus comes back to that same landing spot, and the people that told him to leave, they now welcome him and meet him with all their sick and demon-possessed. What, what changed in those two to four weeks? Anybody know? Naked cat-eating guy. The disciples. It's, it's the bad news bears. Uh, a revolutionary assassin zealot and a turncoat tax collector are both Jesus' followers. Look at, look at Saul of Tarsus, a murderer and persecutor of Christians. God goes, you know who I should call <laughs> to reach the Gentiles? <laughs> I, I don't know if he says it that way, but in my mind, it's like, I'm going to freak this dude out. Watch this. <laughs> he gets knocked off his donkey. He's laying there in the bright light and, you know, Saul, Saul, uh, who's calling, please? This is Jesus whom you're persecuting. Oh, crud, Right? <laughs> What can I do for you, Lord? <laughs> you know, he's blind. He fasts water and food for three days. And Ananias goes to the house on Straight Street in Damascus. He prays for him. Scales fall off his eyes. He's baptized in water. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He becomes the Apostle Paul. Are you kidding me? So before you believe that the one who's calling you has made a mistake, remember who he's called before you. Remember that he can use any willing vessel. So the question isn't about who is being called to do something. The question is, will the one who's being called trust the one who's calling? That's always the question. Piano guy, join me if you would. I, I think this is true, what I'm about to say. If it's not, it's not off by, by much. But it was February we came here, right, for the first time and walked the property? Second week of February, do you remember? We came here the third week of March. So I, I think today maybe our 29th anniversary of having first walked this property as a pastoral candidate for the church. I was 29 years old. She was 29 of your business years old. She's 26. Josh would have been, what, three, four? I can't see fingers. Four. <laughs> number three, my Lord. Yeah. That was a Shrek reference. Did you get that one? Two. Pick number two, my Lord. And then uh, J.D. wasn't even a year old yet. He had his first birthday when he came here. We walked the property, and I am, listen, We've had success in youth ministry. God's been good to us. Great things have happened. But this gave me intestinal issues because this is like I thought. I remember our pastor said, I'm going to the, the network office, and we're going we're gonna to be leaving, and a new pastor has the right to choose a staff. What would you like to do? And I, well, I, maybe another gig as an associate somewhere, but it really has to be a happening place because I've learned what, what the, a 200-person church can teach me, a 300-person church can teach me. I'd really like to be on a, or senior pastor, but I literally said this, but someplace where we can't do much harm at first. So some, in Arizona, there's all these dead mining towns with a bunch of dead miners. You know what I mean? Like, if we, if we got one of those, Nowheresville, you know, bum burp, Arizona, where some bum stopped 100 years ago, burped, they said, there's a town, he kept walking, right? That's, I want a pastor bum burp first assembly. That's what I want. And uh, we got a call from John Yinger, the chairman of the pulpit committee of this church. And I just went into Moses mode. Why, yes, here comes the poser. Yes, I'd be interested in that position, brother, reverend. Actually, when he called me, he said, is this the Reverend Wiegand? And no one calls me Reverend Wiegand. I thought it was all my friends. It's before caller ID, you know. And I said, yes, this is the Reverend Wiegand. How may I bless you, my child? <laughs> think he was a friend? He said, well, my name's John Yinger. Now I think he's a telemarketer. And I said something I won't repeat in public, but I should not have said to the chairman of the public committee. He goes, hey, Jack Wallace gave us your name. And then I said, I realize this is legit. I just started laughing. He said, John, let me start over again. And he let me start over again. We sent out a tape 
that a tape for those of you who are younger, it was a cassette tape. It was about that big, and stuff spun around at different speeds. Remember that the different speed stuff that would go, and you had to rewind it to hear it all over again. And they listened to the message. I sent a resume. I don't know, I'm sure the stuff that was on there was. It's true, but it's true that the best thing I've ever done, the best thing I've ever done, it was like trying to win a beauty contest and a spelling bee in a presidential election. So it's not that this isn't true. It's just there's a lot of other stuff that ain't that I would not put on the resume. Who are your references? My mom, my dad, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they all think a lot of it. Yeah? What about the guy that fired you? No, he's not on there. I don't want you to talk to him. So we came out here. And I remember this moment, guys. This is as clear as I can. Um, they showed us the property, and we walked around, and we saw the... 288-seat, you know, 26 pews, 13 rows, you know, two, two sections on the carpet in the bathroom. I started getting nervous, like, oh, this is bigger than I thought it was going to be. They showed me the fellowship hall. This, we can put weddings. And I thought, oh, okay, gotta, I have to do a wedding. Pastors do weddings. I didn't know that. Okay, we have funerals here. I'm like, oh, dead people. This is going to be great, you know. But I'm not showing it. I said, yes, I, I've never done a bad wedding. Funerals, they always stay dead every time. That's, I've never, never done a bad funeral. The clients never complained once. We walked down a row of classrooms, and that's where it started to hit me. Like, okay, there's like a dozen classrooms. And the Sunday school class, and we got the boys here, and we got the Royal Rangers. Here's the wood shop. And then, this is the moment that I remember. Then we turned right. It would have been coming on this way. We turned that direction. There was a whole other row of classrooms, and that's when it hit me. I, I don't deserve to be here. I would not know how to lead this place. I, I just, uh, this is beyond me. It, it went from scary and intimidating to impossible. I walked down to the end of the classrooms. It would have been just outside that wall was a, a classroom weighing down there before we built this building. And I looked out the window facing that direction towards the, uh, towards the ball fields for the little league and towards the high school. The junior high school wasn't there yet. I remember looking across the snow and just seeing that and, the Fourth of July fireworks go across there, and I it just started adding up my head. And John had done something, but he came back in the room. He saw me staring out the window. He said, what you thinking? I mean, I just hate it when they ask that question. It's just the right moment. I just turned to him. I said, John, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think you might have made a mistake inviting my wife and I here. It's, it's an honor to be here, but I, I just, in good conscience, I have to tell you, I think you do a lot better. This is a legitimate opportunity for someone with legitimate experience and to his credit, John said, we've prayed about it. And let's just let the process play out before you make a decision. Uh, that Sunday night, there, we were voted in semi-unanimously. And uh, 29 years ago today. So what I'm saying is this. Like, if you're like, I, I can't, I get it. I, and that, by the way, that's not the last time I felt overwhelmed. Remember the last time I felt overwhelmed was? Celine. Yeah, last week. Hey, we made a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> Terrible mistake. Yay, God. We can't do this. Nope, you can't. We can't afford this. Nope, can't do it. We don't have the right leaders. We, I mean, the, not, the, not just the leaders, but the leaders behind the leaders. Like, we're going to have to strip this and do that, and the worship team and the piano, and who's going to remember to plug it in? And who's going to, you know, and, and, and then you kind of go to prayer, and God says, what did I tell you to do? It's like, believe. <laughs> but, but God. I mean, you get it, right? And God's like, there's one way to win. That's it. So I'm telling you guys, there's one way to win. That's it. The one who is calling you knows who he's calling, and he has what you need. So you can do what you can't do, and you can go where you can't go because you are who he says you are.
not who the devil says you are, who your mama says you are, or who you say you are. His opinion of you matters more than anybody else's opinion. And from the foundations of the world, his opinion of you has concluded. You are not a feeling he gets. You're a decision he's made. And so the nations are yours. So what about you? What did God say to you? What are you waiting for God to say? What did he say to you last time that you haven't done yet? If your computer, your phone doesn't work, you know how you fix it? Don't, don't take it to the Apple store. Don't take it to the AT&T. Turn it off and turn it back on again. It fixes 99% of all electronic problems. It, it reboots the system. If God told you to do something and you haven't done it yet, I can't hear his voice. I don't, I'm not saying you can't hear his voice. I'm, I don't know what you hear and don't hear. I'm saying this. Maybe you should look back to the last time you believe you heard God's voice and see what you did with what he told you then. Because he might have told you to believe. He might have told you to obey. He might have told you to go. He might have told you to stay. I don't know. But by going back to that place of obedience, it reboots the faith in your heart because you're trusting the one who called you. And that is the ball game. The ball game is not how many fouls and how many pitches and how many strikes and how many. It's not. The game is the final score. The only score that matters is the score on the board. Faith is that. It doesn't matter how many times you got a home run, how many times you struck out. What matters is at the end of the game, the only thing that's being scored is our faith in Jesus. Well done, good and full of faith. Abraham's no better than you are, but he trusted God. Moses is no better than you are, but he trusted God. David's no better than you are, but he trusted God. Esther's no better than you are, but she trusted God. What makes us score and win this game? It's trusting. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. And as you do, I'm going to take a nice, long Bill Johnson pause as I drink out of this water so you can think about what I've just said. Nothing worse than a dry Pentecostal preacher. Close your eyes with me, would you? Father, into your hands is the obedience of our hearts. I didn't have this plan, but I feel it right now. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Sometimes it's just saying yes where you said no, but I I feel like there's people here, it's almost like you need to repent. I I don't mean like, you owe God an apology, young man. I don't mean that. I I mean the first step into this is to take a step out of it. If you've been in slavery to fear, you've been in slavery to people's opinions and slavery to small thinking and in slavery to whatever it is that's kept you from obedience, the first step's probably to leave that behind you in something called repentance. I renounce my faith in lesser gods. I renounce my obedience to lesser voices. I divorce those powers from my life and I marry, I covenant with the one, the holy one, the one who parted the seas, the one who sent his son, the one who raised him from the dead, the one who sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the one. I I unite in covenant relationship. I break off all other relationships to create the one relationship that will truly matter. Come on, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It's just you and God right now. Father, I'm sorry for the places sorry for the times. I'm sorry for the acts of disobedience. I'm sorry, not so much for the questions, but even after Moses got the answer to his questions, he still decided to, to say no, and that, I've been there. Or maybe, maybe we are there in some ways. So we'll go where you want us to go. You have the right to send us. We'll do what you want us to do. You have the right to command us. We'll, we'll be what you want us to be. You have the right to transform us. 
We surrender our rights. And we give you everything, God, that you need to change the world. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're not right with God today, and I, I mean this in a larger sense, like Jesus is maybe someone you thought about or you're investigating, but you haven't made that commitment, that jump in. Like, I, I need an exchange here. I, I need for God to take away my sins. That which stands between my heart and his heart, it just, it has to go away. I don't know what to do with it. I, I tried harder, but it didn't work. I studied more, but I'm, I'm not smart enough to overcome this. I'm, I even prayed, but I, maybe I'm praying wrong. I, I don't know. Sometimes what we just need is to be born again. And if you're here today and you haven't made that commitment to Christ, man, come on, right here, right now. Jesus, I belong to you. Do it in your own way. Say, say to him the words you've been waiting a long time to hear, right? This isn't bad news to Jesus. Well, it's about time you came back. It's, that's not it at all. The only time we see God running in Scripture, do you know he's not running from anything or anyone? He's running to someone who decided to come home. And that's, that's what his presence is as far as I'm concerned. It's just home. Anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, you can be home if you're in his presence. So Father, I pray right now you'd forgive us of our sins. You'd fill us with your spirit. You'd teach us your word. I pray right now, God, that you would do in our lives the things that we and our therapists, our counselors, our friends, our parents, our coaches, our pastors can never do. We, we literally need a miracle, probably, not probably the greatest miracle of all. We need a lifetime of yesterdays to become a, an eternity of tomorrows, eternal life granted to those who believe. So we believe. And we believe that you're going to call people like us to do things like the people we read about in Scripture. Still some giants that need a good haircut, you know? Still some walls that need to be built. Still some cities that need to be subdued. Still some injustices that need a hero that's sent by God. So we volunteer. We hear your voice, we'll obey. If you believe that today, say amen. Yeah. You heard that, God. We said it from our heart. Amen. So be it. If you're uh, in Linden, it's time to go. Pastor Jason, take it from here, would you please? As far as us, I would just say this. Um, if you're working the altar this morning, would you make your way forward right now? If you're an altar worker, you, those of you who don't know what an altar worker is, it's somebody that we've entrusted the ministry of prayer to. They're, they're people that are in some ways, like mothers and fathers or brothers and sisters, pastors, and they're not workers. They're, they're not assigned. They're chosen people who have a ministry of faith, but, but it comes from a heart of love. These are the people we look for. These are the people, if I need a prayer, I'd ask to pray for me. That's, that's why I've asked them to pray for you. You'd like to talk to somebody today before you leave. You need some prayer for something we talked about or something we haven't talked about. It's up to you, but before you go, would you just take that to Jesus with a friend that cares? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. May God lift up his countenance on you. Be gracious to you. May God give you peace. May you take that peace to declare war on the darkness around you and bring the light of his kingdom everywhere you set your foot. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Let's do this. You are dismissed. Greet a two or three people. Tell them you love them. Any prayer come this way. You got what you need? Go get your kids. I went too long. Go get your kids.